then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Oh, Kill you all. You don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. All of you, bud. Free for your life. <laughs> <laughs> to a new world of parts and monsters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Pods and Monsters. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, today, we are going to be talking about Godzilla, the original film, and the American version of the original Japanese film. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Incredible Titan of Terror! So, my name is Robert, and with me as always is... Anthea. And today we have a special guest, Godzilla expert. <laughs> expert. Say your name. Hello, folks. This is Aiden Casterly, monster artist. I'm very happy to be here with you guys tonight. Well, We're thank so you. excited to have you. Oh, thank you very so you, much. So you draw monster art, eh? I draw monster art. You know, once once upon a time, I was required to learn math and history, and I'm like, you know what? Screw that. These these notebooks are better off for monsters. <laughs> yes. And believe it or not, I've made a career out of it. So it's I love what I do. I love the classic horror genre and it's wonderful being you know down here in socal where people there's a huge huge audience for that sort of thing and obviously fellow weirdos like you guys who love it too so <laughs> well, thank you for having me on of course uh, our thank pleasure you for coming so why don't we begin talking about godzilla uh let me say real quick my relationship with Godzilla. Oh yes, is uh, you know he's been a little friend of mine. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> he's someone we can all look up to. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> except for King Ghidorah. Oh, he has to look down. Well, but he can look down and up and to the left if he yeah, wants to. Yeah, but he's to. taller than him. That is true. That is true. <laughs> um, so with Godzilla, uh, I've always loved the Godzilla movies, uh, but I've, I'm not as familiar with them as I am with Universal monster movies. Oh. So growing up, I, I would watch a lot of the uh, monster fights and scenes, but watching the whole movie all the way through I didn't really do too much the one I did the most with that I love is my favorite Godzilla movie is Godzilla's Revenge but the original Godzilla you know uh, Inthia and I watched the American version uh, but we're going to be talking about both American and Japanese uh -huh. I don't think I've seen the Japanese one all the way through uh -huh. but yeah w what did you know about Godzilla before Inthia? well I had very very recently watched the American a version of Godzilla, 1956, I believe. Mm -hmm. You have watched that recently? Well, I had I'd seen it prior to us watching it for this. Oh, okay. So I had seen it, and it was a lot. 
different than what I was expecting because I had grown up knowing all of the more, I'm going to say more comical, more whimsical ones. Mm-hmm. So going became in, a, uh, a child superhero. Yeah. yeah. When he became more marketable towards children. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a little shocking, not shocking, but it was different to see such a serious oh. toned film. Oh, yes. Yeah. And um, I absolutely fell in love with it. However, I never revisited it. It was like one of those things where I was like, it's a good movie. You should watch it. And I didn't really mm-hmm. watch it all the way through um, until today. So I was just kind of racking my brain and remembering what I what I could remember. And I knew that the guy from Rear Window was in it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Raymond, who's Burr. Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr. Who's also Perry Mason. And Ironside. Yeah, Raymond Burr. What else do you remember? Um, Godzilla was an atomic monster. Um, I knew that it was it was some sort of metaphor and or callback to the U.S. attack on the Japanese. Mm-hmm. Also, um, that I pretty much knew that a white guy was shoehorned into this Japanese movie. Okay. Um, and that everyone was dubbed is what my assumption was going into it and paying right. attention. So the, those are my notes. Those are my notes going into the movie. Speaking of everyone being dubbed, let me ask you, Aiden, mm-hmm. uh, for the Godzilla sequels in particular, mm-hmm. uh, do you prefer watching the dubbed versions or, or subtitles? What is interesting is that now, in this day and age, it's very easy to find the original versions now with subtitles and whatnot. Um, we're probably going to be talking a bit about the Americanization of this movie, so I'll, I'll hold off on a little bit of that for a little bit further down but there are some of the films where the dubbing is okay and then some of the films where it's not and um what Inthia is talking about about shoehorning in an american actor there are some t- instances in the kaiju movies where that's done effectively and there are some times when it's really not done effectively i'm probably going to be mentioning the americanization of Varan the unbelievable as we go along with this podcast because <laughs> that's one of the few the, the several examples i can point to on how not to americanize a kaiju movie all right so uh i think we're ready to talk about uh the movie itself so Inthia and I watched the American one. Uh, Aiden, you watched both recently, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Inthia, let's talk about the American one, go through it, and Aiden, if you want to jump in there when you can and sure. talk about differences between the two, uh, sure. feel free. I was just going to say the movie starts off right away with one. Um, the American version begins with a nice prologue that actually takes place much, much later in the film after the big attack, Right. whereas the Japanese one begins pretty much out at sea with Godzilla's first attack. Oh, spoilers, it's Godzilla. But... Um, <laughs> But I, I, I thought it was a very interesting way to get the, the viewer's attention right off the bat as just as soon as the, the title fades out, we fade right in. There's like the smoldering city. Yeah, yeah that's it, what I was noticing. It gets you. Yeah. yeah um, I, I, let me mention real quick, uh, since you just mentioned the title, hmm. for Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the American version mm-hmm. of the original... The title, the font, is incredible. It's one of the best. Oh fonts. yeah! Oh, oh it's, it's very, so it's, it's good. very monster kid, famous monsters kind of thing that we would love with the drippy and the yeah. yeah. It's so and that's good. what I was like. Oh. I really enjoyed it that they that it had all the the roars of Godzilla mm-hmm. playing in the background, mm-hmm. and it was like the water bubbling. So yeah. you get a sense, it sets up that, mm-hmm. you know, that 
opening sequence. Yeah, the Japanese movies, the the opening credits is just basically hearing Godzilla in that footstep again Mm -hmm. and again. And the footstep, I almost sort of feel like at some points it's not even meant to be taken as a literal footstep, like you're hearing him walking along, as it is just that that music pounding at you. Yeah. I kind of of felt that way, too, because later in the movie you hear the footsteps as he's approaching, as he's in the water. Yeah. Yeah. It's also very even, too. It's it's, kind of hard to tell whether or not it's meant to be him, the literal sound of him walking around and, you know, making that brontosaurus thunder lizard noise, or if it's supposed to be just uh, part of the music. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's, yeah. that's that's the thing, is that the, well, the the music and the sound effects were both designed by the same man, who was Akira Fukube, who did a beautiful score for this film, as I'm sure we'll be talking about later, which thankfully is left intact in the American version. Yeah. So as Aiden uh, mentioned before, we're pretty much seeing Tokyo in rubbles and in ruin, and we hear a voiceover. This is Tokyo. Once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which up until a few days ago was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. And we're introduced to Steve Martin. Steve Martin, the actor? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So let's let's address the elephant in the room. Yes, Raymond Burr is playing a character named Steve Martin. They call him by his first and last name mm-hmm. almost the entire movie. I think maybe less than five times they call him Steve. Steve, yeah. But it's Steve Martin no matter what. Mm-hmm. So event at first I was like, Steve Martin. And then I was like, yep, uh-huh. his name is Steve Martin. This makes sense. Cool. So he is in Tokyo on his way to Cairo um, for a, as he liked to call, a social visit. And he's also mentioned that there's an unknown... That there's a disaster that they don't know what's causing these issues, what's causing all of these disasters. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he mentioned some ships had disappeared. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's in Tokyo. Um, we also meet, and you'll forgive me for the names, um, but I believe it's Amiko. Amiko. Amiko, mm-hmm. um, who's the daughter of a paleontologist. Dr. Yamana, yeah. So... Um, she comes to talk to him while he's in this triage center and they're having this conversation, which I didn't remember that we start pretty much in the middle of the situation and then it goes into like explaining how we got there. Yeah. It goes and to so it felt really like they just kind of were like, this is this person. And then she just like left. Like she was whisked away, and I was like, "What is happening? Yeah. Is she going to come into play?" And thankfully, she does. But she I, does. Yes. But uh, th- that does seem the Japanese characters do seem to suffer in the American version, in my opinion. Uh, like some stuff was cut out. I don't know exactly because I don't remember the Japanese version very well. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to mention, especially in those opening shots, uh, the movie is shot so great. The Japanese version. Mm-hmm. The American stuff, it's still shot pretty good, but you yeah. could tell the difference. Uh, yeah. It's just like, it's so rich, yeah. The, yeah. the Japanese version. Yeah. Like, remember when he's being taken away on the stretcher and he looks over and then it's a panning shot of all the victims? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, that shot is just beautiful of all the victims and it's yeah. back to him and... You could just you could tell the it's, difference. It's serviceable. I mean, that's the thing is I don't I don't recall how much money was thrown into the American version, but I'm pretty sure Gojira back at it's native Japan. I think had a pretty good size budget allotted to it. Right. So yeah, it was. Um, it's easy to tell. At first, I was like, oh, is he there? Is he not there? And then you know, yeah. as it goes on, I'm like, when 
well, later on well, in the movie, he's standing outside, but there's a shadow directly behind his head yeah. the whole time, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> this, this is our first instance of something that is unfortunately very obvious to notice is when Raymond Burr is talking to body doubles, and that's something that a lot of people get a laugh out of. It's done as well as it can. There are some instances where it's a, it is a little off. You're talking about the first time he talks to Emiko, it cuts to footage where her eye line, unfortunately, is way too high up, and... It, it's a little jarring, and plus the fact that they only show her face very quickly is because mm-hmm. she was not, I think, the the shot of her speaking back to to Steve Martin was not in the hospital scene. I think that might have been a so- shot of her much, much later on in, the, right. in Sarazawa's home or something oh, like that, okay. possibly. Yeah, and then it, it feels like sometimes he's having, like, almost one-sided conversations because they mm. only show his face when the other person's responding. It's tricky, that's the thing. And there are there are scenes later on where I think he's even talking to Dr. Yamane and they simply had no footage of him that, that synced up to it. So it's just him and the body double the entire time. So mm. Yeah. But even... Uh, getting the American actor to work with this Japanese footage, it was so smart of the writers to make him a newsman so he mm-hmm. can be present and witness everything yeah. and not have to be involved. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that the Americanization does very well is rather than making him a super important character that requires to be shoehorned into the story, is that Raymond Burr's character is very much an observer. And in that way, it's easy for us in the American audience to more or less put ourselves in his shoes because he's sort of watching a lot of these things happen. He doesn't really have too much involvement in the plot, if any involvement in the plot. He's mostly the one who's collecting information, kind of like we are. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I remember Inthia uh, in made a comment during the movie that when he says, like, uh, can you tell me what he's saying? I have to... My Japanese is a little rusty. Yeah, yeah, but we already know by that point that he doesn't speak Japanese. Yeah. But it's it's funny because he still kind of has to remind the yeah. audience. This is why this guy's repeating everything. You know? yeah. Yeah. There, we, there we go. I'm afraid my Japanese is a little rusty. What's interesting about this film is we were talking about the dubbing earlier is how much of this film is left in Japanese mm-hmm. and then yeah. given, given lines with Burr. I mean, some reviewers have pointed out that a lot of the times the Japanese dialogue does not match whatsoever what the, the interpreter is saying. But that's mm. that's just their way of passing the story, al- getting the story along and getting mm-hmm. it rolling without necessarily having to perfectly match it with what they're saying in the scene. Some people have even pointed out that you can see, you can hear them saying Gojira in those early scenes before the monster is even introduced. But. Oh, right. So from here, we end up on the ocean, and there are some sailors uh, that are just having a lovely time above deck, mm-hmm. and. We pretty much see Godzilla in action, or our first encounter with right. Godzilla. This was the first scene in the Japanese version. The movie started off the bat with this scene. That is an intense scene to just start off a movie yeah. with. Because there's the white flash, mm-hmm. which I felt was very reminiscent from my very limited knowledge that what I know of, of an atomic bomb. Everyone's blown back. Mm-hmm. So water starts to bubble and froth, and then the ship sinks. So it's like super dramatic, and that's intense way to yeah, start a movie. It gets yeah. right in there too, and there's no dialogue in that scene either, Mm-mm. or not, or not any any important dialogue. It's just boom, it happens. Right, they're and, gone. And that scene uh, was inspired by true events. Uh, what was it, Aiden? The Lucky Dragon incident. There was a fishing boat that apparently did not 
they they wandered they, they, they wandered into testing. testing grounds. Yeah, yeah, they, oh. which they didn't know about. There were nuclear testings going on, and this ship was not notified or was forgotten about. Somehow missed, mm-hmm. and there was a bright flash, and they all became uh, exposed to radioactivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't catch on fire and sink like in no, the movie. No, but, but there were still bad ramifications too. Right, and because. Japan at that time was so afraid of nuclear testing or radioactivity uh-huh. uh, because of what was going on in the world. It was a very big deal, and it made headlines that this ship got yeah. all this radioactivity. There was a big recall on tuna because the tuna that, w- that had right, been caught on right. the ship was oh. possibly irradiated and may have reached the market. I don't remember if that did or not, but there was still a massive recall of tuna, and it was a pretty frightening incident. Yeah. Wow. So this was a big fear of Japan, and really that's... A big part of Godzilla is the radioactivity. Later yeah. in the movie, you mm-hmm. know, radioactive areas follow where Godzilla had been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Godzilla really is Def- art imitating life. Yeah. There was that hospital scene which was bumped up earlier in the movie. You remember when they're running the Geiger counter over the child? Yep. Mm-hmm. And the child seems blind, but of course is probably horribly poisoned by that point. Yeah. Huh. It's really heavy stuff for a monster movie, but you know what? That's really that's important too. You no, know, it's super thing, effective. Is, it's, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's really interesting the way that they were talking about real life situations with a fantasy creature. Yeah. It's it's not easy to deal with, but sometimes you know that's the way you deal. You, you have to have your eyes open to these kind of yeah. situations. Yeah. And for sure, Godzilla even. Even in the American version, a lot of that fear still comes across. You know, they didn't try to hide it necessarily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the reason that it is so hard to even think about how serious this Godzilla movie is is just because we know what happens to Godzilla in the sequels, how he becomes a childhood hero to everyone. Yeah. And, you know, there were things like the director, Ishiro Honda, mm-hmm. was a prisoner of war. and. Oh. During uh, World War Two, oh, and he saw lots of destruction, you know, throughout his experiences, and that's a rumor as to one of the inspirations for the Godzilla story was just he saw this destruction and was just thinking like, what could he show to create destruction at this level? Yeah, yeah, it has a very documentary style, and by that I mean it's just it. Showing showing you the damage, showing mm-hmm. you the people suffering is something they do not pull away from, and, and no, it's important. Yes. Yeah, later on in the movie, when um, Godzilla does make it to Tokyo, there's that one scene with the woman holding on to her children. The war widow, yes. Yes, and they, she's They like, kept that in. They didn't translate what she was saying. It's, it's implied that this is a woman who lost her husband in World War II. She's holding her children close, and she tells them, we're going to be with daddy soon. Mm-hmm. And even without the translation, that's the fact that they left that in. It's still, it's still really heavy stuff. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, uh, from there we end up seeing uh, Steve Martin on a plane, and he is smoking some cigarettes. Everyone's having a really luxurious flight over, and um, as soon as he lands, he is pulled aside um, by the local authorities uh, because the scene prior to that happened right at the same time as he was flying into Tokyo. Mm-hmm. They want to find out if he saw anything so weird. Are they, are they just, so they're just asking everyone on the plane because they could have looked out the window and saw something? Is that why they're interviewing them? Yeah, and you know, this was before gremlins were on the wings of the planes and stuff like that. But <laughs> yeah, they, bas- they basically, as, as Steve Martin says, he's, he points out that everybody on the flight was interrogated mm-hmm. and right. chances are nobody saw anything unless if they were looking out the window and seeing big flashes of light. But yeah. it was also 
I think it was also at nighttime or something like that. Was it? It was a nighttime flight? Um, I don't remember seeing anything. I got the impression because it, he said he was asleep, or that's the thing. And it seems like most of the characters in that shot were asleep or, yeah, or yeah, enjoy, enjoying their cigarettes and liquor on airplanes as he could have in those days. <laughs> that airplane did look really. I was like, oh, this is a luxury flight. Like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Everyone looked all nice in their suits and it just looked so nice. And it was Pan Am. So I really like when they showed the outside of the plane, which was like, I guess, well, when we first see the the ship um, being attacked at the beginning, they have a little model and then you see the plane and it's a little model. I love all the little models in this movie. Yeah, they're the, so good. The model work is very good, and this is a, as good of a time as any to mention Eiji Tsuburaya, who was the special effects guy. And basically, if you love kaiju and tokusatsu, you definitely know who Tsuburaya and his family and his legacy are. The miniature work in this film is really good because Tsuburaya, I believe, actually did miniature work for propaganda films prior to this. He would, oh, wow. Yeah, for like, um, for, you know, like those little uh, war training films or whatnot. I think he did stuff like that. Harryhausen also did that too. So, you know, it's it's yeah. some of the special effects guys cut their teeth in ways that you wouldn't have imagined. Yeah. And speaking yeah. of Harryhausen, uh, when this idea of Godzilla was first brought up, stop motion was a thought Mm -hmm. whether it was going to be done that way but they thought it would cost too much money take too long to film and Mm -hmm. just uh having a guy in a suit would just be more feasible and yet there's still a couple of stop motion shots in this movie if you can catch you can catch him his tail for one his tail for one and uh an army truck falling over is right that's the shot you commented on (laughs) yeah that's either stop motion or it's cutting frames from a model i forget yeah but um both this film and the neck and king kong versus godzilla both have uh not the greatest puppet work ever so that's that's probably like the one thing about Tsuburaya's work in this film I would more or less kind of yeah. criticize is just that the puppet doesn't really match the full body suit but we'll be seeing a lot of that puppet over the course of the movie <laughs> it's no worse than Black Scorpion and constantly cutting to you know Drooly the barfing puppet just spliced in between uh, Obi's beautiful stunt motion work but, uh, um <laughs> How long did, what's, how do you say his name? Eiji? Tsuburaya. Tsuburaya. How many years did he continue to work on Godzilla movies for? Tsuburaya would have mostly been involved with the Godzilla movies from the 50s until the 60s. And around the 60s is when he branched off into his own company, which gave us Ultra Q, Ultra Man, um, Ultra 7 and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I believe he died at the end of the 60s. He would have died somewhere in the production of Godzilla's Revenge, and he wouldn't have actually have done too much on it. But the film is still dedicated to his memory, okay. so, which I guess means his final full Godzilla movie would have been Destroy All Monsters, yeah. even though it, it was busy with his own company at the time of that, too. So so he's pulled aside, and this is when we start seeing him really interacting with more actors, and we rarely see the actors talking directly to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly just his face. We hear their voices, but it's just his face. It seems like the Japanese actors who are speaking English are still dubbed. Is that it depends? I mean, like the guy—the uh, guy that's always translating for him—seems yeah. to be dubbed. No, even though he's speaking, is he? No, not? he's an American actor. It's obvious when Martin is talking to a character from the original version is when they resort to body doubles and splicing in quick clips. Mm. But his guide—the guy who interrogates him and goes with him to Odo Island—no, that's an actor in the American version too. Did you say? Mean? Did you say you remember the character name? Uh, no, no, I'm. I've, Totally blanked because uh, I think I, I forget it. how far he gets into the movie before he is possibly killed off during Godzilla's attack on Tokyo later on. Let's oh, just is it Frank? 
Is it Iwanaga? Igu- yep. Oh, wow. Security officer. There we go. That's his name, Mom. Okay. I, whether that's the character's name or the actor's name, I'm sorry. I don't remember. We'll just call him Frank. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like, it name. literally just has him billed as security officer. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, in that case, we'll call him Frank because I'm sh- I doubt his mom named him security when he was born. <laughs> I figured he would have had a... Uh... A banking a, job. Ha, actually had a name. He's sort of a prominent role in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. So um, he's questioning him about if he saw anything unusual during the flight. And from here, uh, they end up having a conversation. And he tells him what happened. And they are in the process of sending a rescue ship out to go pick up anyone who may have survived this attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and that rescue ship meets the same fate. <laughs> gets attacked white light and then the water catches on fire and it gets sunk and that's when i wrote down that the models are just so amazing <laughs> i really yeah, do they're, love they're the really models well i do like how uh the little archways you can see the wiggling back and forth like mm-hmm. like you could tell that it's not withstanding the elements of weather the way it should but still it's great yeah. no it's so great i just love the little things you can look for to tell that it's a model yeah it's a tough trick to pull off because effects like water and fire always give away their scale yeah. there's, a, there's a world of difference between what a match looks like and what a burning city looks like mm-hmm. and exactly. the fact that those ships the ship models look as good as they do out in the the big pool is it was what it was what its name sounds like a great big pool that toho constructed and so many of the godzilla movies were were shot using this gigantic pool and then i think in the 90s i want to say it was paved over and made into a parking lot oh my god cool. so now you can show godzilla you know king Ghidorah's car you know when he's pissed <laughs> off at him <laughs> so from here our friend steve martin ends up calling Chicago, I believe, mm-hmm. and ends up having what I felt like was a very, it was a very Michael Scott moment. Um, but it, <laughs> because it took me a while to realize that he was dictating a note to someone. I thought he was giving mm-hmm. them a headline because he says Japanese ship disasters puzzles world and then kept going. Japanese ship disasters puzzle world. Eight ships obliterated by mysterious blinding flash of fire. No survivors found. Radio reports from stricken ships gave the same message. Terrible sea of... And, like, there's a scene in the office where Michael Scott is like, I'll give you a headline, and it's, like, a paragraph long. And I'm like, is he giving them a headline for something? What is happening? But it turns out he was giving a note to his um, editor. Yeah. His well, that's it's kind of how you would uh, decipher a, a telegram back then. Yeah. Yes. This is also one of the other differences between the American and the Japanese version is the fact that there's not really any... I mean, there, there's news that Godzilla's there and uh, Steve Martin is free to pass it along. In the Japanese version, one of the scenes has a conflict where they don't know whether or not Godzilla's attack should be known to the public. This is, this is a f- bit later on in the film, but it is a scene that is cut where after Yamane gives the news that this is a living creature called Godzilla, he's the cause of it, he's radioactive, a politician stands up and actually says should we let the public know about this number one it could cause a panic but his other concern is world relations and whether or not this is something that is going to call upon badly with the japanese Mm. and of course he's challenged by another politician who says the truth is the truth the truth should not be covered up you know if there is something radioactive and terrible people need to know about it and it turns into this big fight in the 
you know, in the the government building. Yeah. Which in which in the American version was that conversation was cut out, so you just see people start fighting for no good reason. I, I was wondering because yeah. it was like, yeah, they were done talking, and then all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, sudden there's starts, a big flurry. Yeah. yeah. Was, oh, okay, yeah. cool. Well, those conversations are probably real conversations the Japanese government would have had mm-hmm. about radioactivity. Yeah. Yeah. So in this, we also find out that Steve decides that he's going to stay and find out what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think. The next part is the Odo Island I've seen, I believe. Yes, there's a survivor. Mm-hmm. Does he survive and die? Or no, does he just survive? In the American version, they say his visit was a short one, which implies that he's dead. Mm-hmm. I've seen one reviewer say that this is a character who lives, though, and appears later in the film. Although I'm sorry to say I don't recognize who the character was. Okay. So, But for the intents of the American version, he's dead. So then Steve and officials go to the island to go question mm-hmm. people. Um, and then they claim to have seen a monster. And that's when you start finding out about Godzilla. Yeah. So Steve Martin is a reporter. There is a reporter character in the Japanese version named Hagewara. And you can you can only see him in clips in the American version. His Most of his scenes were not kept intact. But, but yeah, in the Japanese version, he's the one who's sent off to there. And his role is kind of sort of the same mm-hmm. as what uh, Martin's is. You know, he's there to uncover more of the mystery, give, you know, plot details to the audience and whatnot. He's the guy who kind of looks like a Japanese shemp. <laughs> oh. No, no, when he sh- when he shows up later to give his news at the at the diet building, I just want to go. <laughs> I don't know if that's offensive or not, but you know what? It's his haircut in his ears. So, and and hey, shemp is not a that's not a bad uh, comparison. Is it? No, shemp's a handsome guy. Yeah, I didn't I didn't call him I didn't call him Joe Besser. So, <laughs> at this point, you know, they also talk about how they they used to do sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's what I was going to talk about, because we see this ceremony that is very rarely performed, and during the ceremony is when you hear the exposition about Godzilla, Mm -hmm. um, and that they did, they used to send out Uh, a woman. mm -hmm. And it... it on a raft. I, yeah, a raft. and in the Japanese version, it's the old guy telling the story says it happened as recently as within his lifetime. So mm-hmm. that's So this is yeah. I think heavily inspired by King Kong. Yes. Which King Kong is one of the movies that did inspire the making of this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, okay. uh, in the early 50s, King Kong would have been re-released for its 20th anniversary, or more or less its 20th anniversary, and not only did it kick ass in America, it did really well overseas. We're millionaires, boys! I'll share it with all of you! Kong! The eighth wonder of the world! And of yeah. course, our other big giant monster movie that came out that also was a huge hit was... The Beast! The Beast! The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. So huge an influence, in fact, that there are similarities between Godzilla and the Raidosaurus we could point out. There are some storyboards from Godzilla where they didn't finalize the design yet, so artists would kind of just sort of picture him as they thought. Some of them drew him as kind of an oriental dragon, and some of them actually drew him quite like the Raidosaurus. I'm not familiar with this movie. It's a Ray Harryhausen animated uh, film with a giant dragon monster. It basically kicked off the atomic monster thing. It's just with them, the the atomic explosion was just a means of getting the the monster onto the scene, whereas in Godzilla, it's it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Returning to Odo Island, we were talking about the ceremony. I believe the old guy who was telling the story was was also in Seven Samurai. There's actually quite a few actors because those productions were going on at the same time, and he was yeah. also a village elder. There's the funniest bit of dubbing in this entire movie is when they have to fit in him saying Godzilla. Because it's, <laughs> it, because he's saying Gojira, obviously, and they just have to have this weird voice come out of nowhere going, everybody with me, 
Godzilla. Godzilla. <laughs> the name Godzilla. Did you hear that? Godzilla. And then, and then we cut back to him, and he doesn't sound anything like that. For all for all intents yeah. and purposes, it was just some weirdo out in the woods just ran up behind Steve Martin, whispered, Godzilla, in his ear, and then just ran right off. Okay, so... So after the ceremony, we have, our first, we have an attack. And yes, and I love the build-up to this attack. The build-up is really, really good. The boy who hears something outside is, I believe his name is Shinkichi, and it's it you, the way you would think of most monster movies. You would think the guy who runs outside to see the monster would be dead meat. And in this case, no, mm-hmm. total opposite. His family gets killed, and Shinkichi is the one who is crying his head off outside. Yes. Yeah. To me, I, I think this is probably my favorite scene of the movie. It's really well done. And I gotta mm-hmm. say, one of one of the nice touches that the American uh, version does is Burr's narration because he has such this heavy commanding voice. The scene is fine in the Japanese version. It's totally fine. But for some reason, having that ending shot with Burr saying, the name does for certain, they said it was Godzilla. Yeah, (laughs) it's so good. You get the the crazy change in the weather, Mm -hmm. um, the wind, the rain, you hear the roar. And then it instantly it goes from like this roar into people just like screaming. Yeah, yeah. I I, I love how the weather changes. Those weather shots are just incredible. Yeah. And thinking about Godzilla in the sequels and uh, and in the American scenes here, I feel like a lot of it seems like they're shot on sets and things. But then you have the shots of the storm and you see the trees outside and mm-hmm. you see those are real trees at exterior locations mm-hmm. and it just kind of adds to the to the budget of the movie yeah. and makes it that much better. I do love the shot also when... So you never see Godzilla except when the house is being torn down. Mm-hmm. You can sort of see his leg mm-hmm. behind the house like he's walking by it and i just love how they don't reveal him yet right yeah the whole disaster right. scene and you don't see him yet yeah you don't you just see the carnage of it like yeah. and everyone and then the aftermath of it yeah and steve is still in den- not denial yeah. but he's like no one knows what caused this mm-hmm. and then yeah as you pointed out and said it so beautifully um yeah the islanders are like no we know what's up it yeah. was godzilla this is also one of those good similarities between this and King Kong was, you remember in King Kong, he's referenced before he ever even shows up, and it's also, a, it, it builds a lot of dread for the monster when it finally does appear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they always talk about Godzilla comes from the sea. Mm-hmm. The sea makes him uh, stronger, in the sequels at least, they talk about that mm-hmm. sometimes. How does he breathe underwater? Now, this is a little one. This is one of the other things that the uh, is in the Japanese version is when Dr. Yamane gives his whole exposition on Godzilla. I think in the Japanese version, he theorizes that it, it that he is a marine creature or something along the lines of a hybrid or just an intermediate well, life form between this. the two. Yeah. In, in the American yeah. version, they talk about how he was sort of a prehistoric animal that from the Jurassic age from the Jurassic yeah. age that sort of evolved from land from land to sea or sea to land. Yeah. But I don't know. I just it, it makes me think. Like, does Godzilla's design does his design miss gills? Should he have gills? The only time he's ever had gills was in Shin Godzilla, and those gills were like spurting blood the entire time. So that's probably <laughs> that's not the best example to draw up. For all intents and purposes, it seems like Godzilla is just totally fine 
with either holding his breath forever and ever. There was there was one movie. I mean, I guess there, in, there are whales. Whales are not gills. Yeah, but whales still need to come up and breathe. I mean, there's, well, but Godzilla yeah. comes up also. But yeah, maybe he just comes up so far deep in the ocean where no one sees him before so far the, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jumping back. Um, after the first Odo Island attack, we go to they take um, some islanders back to Tokyo. Right. Oh, th- this is where uh, Steve Martin asks Doctor Yamane's permission to come along. I think. Yes, um, he yes. takes a crew and a whole ship back mm-hmm. to survey the island. And I believe this is also when, in the American version, introduces us to Emiko and Ogata, who were a bit. I think they were introduced a, quite a bit earlier in the Japanese version. I think mm-hmm. a lot of Ogata's backstory or his scenes were chopped down. Yeah, they seem to be a lot closer than the last time that he saw them. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like the Japanese version, everything that we're missing is happening in tandem with what we're watching now. And that's one of the sacrifices that the the American version, one of the big things it does is it quickens the pace. And of course, Mm -hmm. quickening the pace always comes at the expense of... You know, material has to get cut. Yeah. And like I was saying, we see quite a bit of em- of Emiko and Ogata earlier in the Japanese version. And I had mentioned earlier about getting Martin's character in there and how it was more or less done with him as an observer. This is one of those tricky times where they do have to show that he had had previous connections with the character, such as mentioning he had seen Emiko and Ogata before, mm-hmm. and the fact that he's friends with Sarazawa. Mm-hmm. We'll be get we'll get we'll talk a bit more about that when Sarazawa comes along into the plot. Well, I do. Find- find it very interesting it's basically how you were saying it it's the events that happen in the japanese version from the perspective of the american Mm -hmm. yeah so like something could happen in the japanese one that he wouldn't know anything about because he wasn't there and those would be the cut scenes yeah uh so I think it, that's a very smart way to go with it. Yeah, it gets. Tr- there are some points in the film where there's just simply no way to explain why Martin would be there, and that's when they result to dubbing the most. That'll be the. Right. That'll be more towards the end of the film. Yeah, I will go back to my initial notes on this, where I said that my impression was that they just shoehorn in this American actor, and it's not as abrupt as I was expecting it to be, mm-hmm. which I find very pleasant. Yeah. And from here, we end up seeing the footprints, these footprints that are left behind, and they mm-hmm. are super radioactive, um, and they find a, a trilobite in one of them. Mm-hmm. I like how uh, Steve starts to say something about them, like give a little mm-hmm. information, and then the warning bell that trilobite. Godzilla... Trilobite, isn't that a clong, 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 clong? <laughs> <laughs> trilobite, isn't that a... So we run up the hill. Yes. Everyone's like run for higher ground Mm -hmm. and you hear footsteps. So you hear those big booming footsteps. Mm -hmm. And then this might be my favorite thing ever because it's a little wonky, but it's beautiful. Godzilla's head appears on the other side of these hills. And this this is another moment. So I've ranted before about the puppet. And it's not the greatest Subaraya work ever. In the Japanese version, at least, those shots are... I believe it's only two quick shots, just him roaring, and then he kind of looks over. And in the American version, they repeat those shots quite a few times, mm-hmm. I think, just to give us more monster action, maybe. There's still or, quick shots, though. Yeah, there's, they, they don't give you long enough to like really linger on how much this, this thing doesn't exactly match uh, mm-hmm. the full-body Godzilla we'll be seeing later. And also, that wasn't the first version of that scene they filmed. Do you remember the uh, original way they filmed that? 
Uh, was that Godzilla eating the cow? Or? Godzilla appeared with a bloody cow in his mouth, like yeah. he was just roaming the countryside, yeah. eating whatever he found. And, and oh, the, it's the, very Jurassic Park. Yeah. yeah, and the cinematographer thought it would be too graphic, so he talked uh, yeah. Honda, the director, into uh, reshooting it. Yeah, what, but what's also interesting about that is Godzilla eating is something we don't see in too many of his films, but that's actually kind of good because there are some monsters where the more animal-like they are, it works fine. King Kong and the Radosaurus, but as we're going to be seeing with Godzilla later on, Godzilla isn't so much a literal animal as he is to be taken as a force of nature. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a movie about a tornado that eats people would be scary as hell, but but, but we're not going to do that. We're, it's, it's just treated more... Godzilla's treated more impersonal, which is why there's not too many Godzilla movies where Godzilla were to, like, single out one lone person then just go up and mess with them. Yeah. Although that'd be funny. That's true. And I also <laughs> wonder... How how they filmed this original version with the cow? How big was this cow? Well, that's another question, too, is the scale of it. This cow would have been the size of an elephant or something like that. Yeah, they do talk about how big he is, which he's over 400 feet tall. Yes. Yeah, and, but and, that, that's in the American dub. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the Japanese version, he's, uh, he's about a, 150 feet shorter than that. Yeah. He's about, really? He's about 50 meters, I think, is what the Japanese version says he is, which is, I guess, about 150 feet. I was reading that the reason that they chose to make it bigger in the American version mm -hmm. was because <laughs> Americans are so used to skyscrapers and these things, and the, and the, the shorter buildings in Japan wouldn't make sense to him only being... 250 feet yeah. oh but it doesn't yeah who would accept a movie where a monster has to climb up to the top of a building exactly <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny though this reveal of godzilla over the hill it very much reminds me of other science fiction horror movies of the 50s for some reason it reminds me of the appearance of the tarantula for the first time and tarantula over the hill it just seems like it takes place in the same world somehow yeah it's also <laughs> a nice choice i mean i was talking about you know cutting the shots or whatnot. It is nice that the very first moment you see the puppet, you just see sort of a glimpse of it, and then we cut away to the people's reaction, and then mm -hmm. we cut back to, you know, yeah. the puppet going, Hi, everyone! Welcome to the Godzilla Show! Yay! I, that's pretty much when we were in the car. I was explaining to Robert, I'm like, Godzilla showed up and was like, Hey, guys! And then everyone started screaming, so he just started screaming back at them. <laughs> we're fine! We're all raising our voices now! Hi, over here! So Godzilla vanishes. We see yep, a, tr a tail trail and footprints. I love that shot. It, it's a very creepy shot. That's yes. the thing. Is for all the for all the complaining I've been doing about the puppet, that follow up shot is actually very eerie. I really did like that. It's such a good one. And then it's time for Yamane's report. And <laughs> yeah. Robert, I'm guessing you know a thing or two about dinosaurs. How many were there two million years ago? As he claims. <laughs> I love those slides so much. Yeah. Those well, dinosaurs. Oh, are yeah. That's, is that well, that's where they talk about him becoming a dinosaur, or that he was a prehistoric creature yeah. going from land to sea through evolution. I don't remember if that's Zdenek Buryan's uh, paintings or Rudolf Zillinger or one of the other great paleo artists, but those, but those paleo artists apparently were an inspiration for Godzilla's design. I have heard that them and Charles Knight, their paintings of the Tyrannosaurus, the Iguanodon, and the Stegosaurus were sort of what ultimately combined into Godzilla. I, I read that too. Uh, basically, the body shape of a T-Rex, the pose of of the Iguanodon, yeah. and the uh, spikes of yeah. the Stegosaurus. Mm, okay. 
That's awesome. So here he goes into explaining everything, um, mm-hmm. the size, how he was created, and probably how he showed up. Um, and he says that he's probably resurrected um, by repeated experiments being run of the H-bomb. H-bomb testings in Stronium 90. And this is one of the things where... You got to give the American version credit that they didn't pave over any of that stuff. You yeah. could have really imagined that some studios would have felt kind of antsy and they would have just changed the dialogue or the dubbing. But no, they keep yeah. it intact. You yeah. know, that's, they keep it intact. I mean, they do cut out some talk yeah. about it. But yes. there, there had been rumors all the time that uh, the Japanese version was very anti-American. But that's not true. Well, here's this is a, around this point in the film, there are... These are some of the cutscenes you would have is there's a cutscene on a bus where the pedestrians are reading the news about the uh, the radioactivity and the stuff like that, and then they're just through casual conversation. One of them says, "Oh no, are we gonna have to go back to the bomb shelters again?" I hate that, yeah. and of oh, course no. that's that's something that would not have not only would it it not have been too relevant for American audiences, but it's. It's also, it, you know, it just it cuts away from the action. So, you know, I, I understand yeah. why they cut it, but at the same time, it also cuts out a bit of what Godzilla and his relevance is to the Japanese as opposed yeah. to... Well, things like that also apparently were cut, bomb shelters, things like that, because it also brought up memories of World War Two. Yeah. It's a tricky topic, and that's the thing is, for all intents and purposes, this uh-huh. podcast is about the monster movies, but yeah. the, the world relations between Japan and America, is that's a podcast for somebody else with a lot more time on their hands, <laughs> and a lot more educated than I am, I'm going to say. Yeah. But I, I, I think... But World War Two was freshly in, pe- in it people's was. minds. Yeah. And this was still less than 10 years at point. Yes, less than Gojira would have been fifty four, so that would have been less than a decade after. Yeah. So wow. So yeah. so yeah, just bringing up those type of memories was something that yeah. had to really be thought mm-hmm. about, and you know, obviously, certain cuts were made for mm-hmm. from the Japanese version to the American one. Also, you got to think that you know Japan was an enemy to lots of people who still hold held those grudges from World War II. Mm-hmm. So when because Godzilla was very popular throughout the world, mm-hmm. but lots of the time it got its world notoriety from the American version. That's the one that was released throughout mm-hmm. uh, because even though America was probably you know the enemy of a lot of people as well at that time, but. The American version, I guess it was more sensitive, maybe? I don't know if I'm more sensitive. It's just it doesn't delve into the politics as much. And that's the right. har- that's the hardest thing to translate across seas is just, you know, we were saying what this film meant to the Japanese as opposed to what it meant to people who hadn't experienced having to go to the bomb shelters and stuff like that. So from here, Steve ends up calling George in Chicago. I really do like that he called it something big and terrible. Now let's have it, Steve. What about this monster story of yours? Well, it's big and terrible. So apparently Steve Martin didn't listen to those screaming politicians about whether or not this could be kept a secret. He's like, screw that. I'm Raymond Burr. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> he, just... He, he just gets on the phone and says, oh, yeah, we also have all these fascinating political secrets and uh, scandalous photos of the emperor. Why don't we go ahead and share those with the world? I don't, I don't, I don't care what they think. So he talks about um, that there are plans to bomb the area yeah. um, where Godzilla is, and he calls them death bombs. The question is, will they kill him? You know, they say they're going to find mm. it with sonar. 
Mm-hmm. And then from here, I put, I said, eye patch guy. Because we are so, introduced to do- Dr. Dr. Serizawa. Serizawa is kept sort of a mystery in the Japanese version up until the parts where we really need to start knowing about him. And I think this this is, Steve Martin interacting with the original Japanese characters is fine with me, body doubles aside. But this is one instance where it's a little hard to imagine that Martin and Serizawa would have been friends. First of all, Serizawa is much younger than Martin. I don't mm-hmm. remember if they said they were, I don't think they said they were college friends, but they're somehow friends. Okay. But in the Japanese version as well, it, you get the impression that Serizawa doesn't really have too many human interactions. He works alone in this laboratory. He's, I got that impression in the American one, too. He's very awkward. There's There are scenes of him earlier with Emiko where there's just not much of a connection. There's a scene where Hagiwara is interviewing him and just sort of throwing anything his way that'll get him to talk, and Serizawa is just a little bit baffled by everything. I, I wouldn't say he's a shut-in, but you get the impression that this is a guy who just commits himself to science and... Mm-hmm. The reason why he does that, we'll we'll talk about later on when he has this big exposition scene. So, why and how he knows Martin, why and how Martin would have been familiar with Emiko and Ogata, that's very tricky stuff. And, again, this is all the more reason why Martin is best seen as an observer than rather as a character who needs to be integral to the plot. Yeah. And that's, and that's the tricky part. Yeah, yeah, super agreed. So, earlier they had mentioned that Emiko has potentially this love triangle situation yes and this is this em- completes the triangle yeah emiko had emiko and sarazawa had been arranged to be married yes. married when they were children i believe mm-hmm. that's that's the story they give yeah mm-hmm. and just emiko is not a shut-in like sarazawa she goes out and sees the world she sees this hot young piece of sailor ass name ogata <laughs> so dr uh say his name again sarazawa sarazawa um, which I tried to spell it out phonetically how I heard it. You know, like, you're basically the Steve Martin of this podcast. You are the Steve Martin of this podcast. I don't know if anybody out there knows what I look like. I I guess I do. I kind of look like Martin, only less. Do I do I look like? I guess I kind of look like Raymond Burr, only. Your eyes aren't all. I don't. I don't. I don't own a vineyard, and he was Canadian, I think, also too. So last time I checked, I was not Canadian born. He has haunting eyes. It's hard to imagine, like, any of the other actors, American actors who were shoehorned into these movies, whether or not they... They probably couldn't have pulled it off, and Raymond Burr matched the tone of this movie perfectly, Mm -hmm. is that he's just... He does not goof off at any point. Even when he's making the little jokes, like saying, my Japanese is a bit rusty, or that guy's been having too much sake, it's still delivered with this... This almost mirthless kind of humor, too, where yeah. you can believe he's a world-weary guy. Yeah. So, Amiko's shown the laboratory, and we see this tank full of fish, like this murky tank full of fish. Mm-hmm. And then we see him just kind of drop in a little a little bloop, a little, like, pill or something. And then I really like that you don't see what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's just their faces, and she gives out the most blood-curdling scream. <laughs> The music that builds up to it. Yes. Real, we were talking about earlier about how not seeing Godzilla was actually, you know, one of the spooky things about the starting earlier. Not yeah. seeing what exactly this... Spoilers, it's the Oxygen Destroyer. Not seeing what it does at first, but just hearing mm-hmm. those those strings going nuts and then that big boom right at the end to coincide with your scream. Well, you really yeah. wonder... Yeah. 
what she's seeing. Like, yeah. yeah, because at this point, you don't know if the doctor is a crazy guy. That's true. Mm-hmm. You don't know yeah, if that, he's going to be a savior. Like, maybe he's creating like little mini Godzillas. Yeah. I, in think, there. I, think, <laughs> I thought the first time he's seen in the Japanese version is during the first expedition to Oda Island. He doesn't accompany it, but he's just seen on the docks wearing sunglasses and a black cape or, or just black outfit, and yeah. you're you don't know who he is at that point. Do we ever find out yeah. why he has one eye? It's been theorized that the reason he has one eye is he might have lost it in World War II, which of oh, course okay. would have a big explanation for the reasons behind not wanting to reveal the oxygen destroyer. That's getting ahead of ourselves, but we'll t- we'll talk a bit more okay. because Sarazawa's big moment is mm-hmm. oh. we'll see towards the end. He's so good. He's yeah. so good. So here we see the death bombing, um, the effort to kill Godzilla. Amiko's dad, who's a paleontologist, I don't remember his name. Dr. Yamane. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, he laments killing Godzilla. Yeah. Um, and he thinks that he should be studied, that he should not be killed. And he's just so sad. Yeah, we'll be hearing that quite a bit during the film. And, you know, one of the... Aside from the fact that Godzilla is obviously just a one-of-a-kind animal, Mm -hmm. they'll they'll go on to explain later one of Yamani's interests in is the fact that a life form has endured and survived radioactive poisoning and whether or not that could be an ability that could be grafted to human beings. So there is is an altruistic streak in him wanting to keep Godzilla alive even by the point where Godzilla has obviously been killing lots and lots and lots of people. You know, it's like, well, is is it worth that science grant to... Keep him alive and look at him while he's burning people alive. I don't know. That's, but that's. There's no solid answers in this movie. There's only lots and lots of questions and viewpoints, and that's actually one of its strengths. So. Yeah. Um. So after the bombing, everyone in Tokyo is celebrating. They all assume that they have mm-hmm. killed off Godzilla, and then Godzilla sinks a ship. Mm-hmm. And one of my major notes for this is that the music is so good. Yeah. And this is when I really, really, really caught on to the music, yeah, where I was yeah. just like... Ifukube's music is such such an important part of Godzilla in general that I think yeah, even to this day, a lot of his themes are brought up again and again in, in the okay. films. Yeah. Did it's, you ever yeah. see Cloverfield? Yeah. There's only music at the end of it. Yeah. Clo- and- both Cloverfield and Pacific Rim did have scores that were very much in Ifukube's yes. vein. And that's just, that's how big of a stamp he, li- he yeah. left on the genre. Yeah. I will say Roar, which is the... the end song to he to Cloverfield <laughs> is so good yeah. and like and that's what Michael Giacchino is like I want this to be yeah. like mm-hmm. the US version of Godzilla and I'm like this is just like a Godzilla theme yeah I love it yeah. so much and when, when you mentioned Roar right now Ufukube also made the monsters roar I believe yes from, the, from the story it was a leather glove rubbed against a contrabass and then played backwards or something like that wow and yeah, I don't know uh, where he would have gotten the idea that if you rub a leather glove, you can get a, a scary-ass monster yeah, sound. Yeah, just but. musical instruments that then yeah. reverberated. Uh, I mm-hmm. saw there's a rumor that the reverberation was from the audio bouncing back in a toilet. Huh. I don't know if that's true. Who, who doesn't make great discoveries when they're on the toilet? I mean, it's a- <laughs> so, Japanese celebration, Godzilla shows yeah. up. Sink some ships. Mm-hmm. Sink some ships. Sink some ships. And military is just deployed because um, mm-hmm. Tokyo is in the harbor or the bay and is about to enter the city. Yeah, and when the military uh, appears, it it has become such a cliche with Godzilla movies, and you know this is obviously the yeah. first time they did it, and mm-hmm. and it's great, and it's actual footage of the Japanese real Japanese defense force. Uh, I was going to ask because yeah. it's so good, and I was like, there's something that changes 
about um, how it's shot. There's well, something. The actual director, Ishido Honda, he just, I guess, grabbed a camera when they were on the move doing it. Oh. Um, Gorilla style, I guess. I would assume so. Or, so maybe that's. Or Godzilla style. It, it, it might look different because he only had one shot and, you know, didn't set up anything. Just... It's very effective, though. And yeah. it just shows that they're really putting everything they have forth. The attack on the harbor is really well done because this is the first time we see full body Godzilla. And. There are some shots of him that are very creepy because he's almost a silhouette because it's a nighttime attack, so obviously there's not too much light on him, but there's a couple of shots of him just sort of with people running in the foreground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things that makes Godzilla really effective in this movie is you really get a sense of mass with him because the film was sped up so quickly so that he would appear to move very, very slow. And this is obviously later on in the series when he has to do stuff like fight monsters. You can't have that kind of luxury of making him move you know, almost like a living glacier. But in this film, yeah. it's just that sense of the slower he goes, it's actually really creepy. That's the yeah. thing, too. It's like. And, and, and they do that a lot in giant monster movies. They slow it down. Uh, even, you know, like a Jurassic Park, the T Rex, like in the final shot, sort of looks like he's slow motion. It just yeah. adds weight and weight. power to that's the character. The, mm-hmm. That's the thing. It, it but, really hides the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's a guy. But again, Dread is such a big part of this film and you know Dread doesn't move at like lightning fast speeds Dread is something that creeps up on yeah. you and right. you can't get away from it so yeah yeah and you really get a sense of that during the harbor attack just this is the scene I believe where Godzilla picks up the train and yes. that's that's a very famous reference once again our friend the puppet but aside from it's still creepy it's still something that another King Kong callback where yeah. the subway being smashed mm-hmm yeah, it's but it's it's a nicely done scene, and the other good thing about it is it's relatively short because they save a lot of the Godzilla action for the main attack on Tokyo later. So this is once again, yeah, sort of another teaser. But we're not teasing us as much as we were with the Odo Island or whatnot. They know yeah. enough to to give us a little bit more each time until we get to yes, when everything goes like super yeah. bonkers. So, um, so yeah, he eats the train, he steps on it, and then. Like it appears that he just like and for leaves. Yeah, yeah, for all intents and purposes it just he he leaves. Yeah. So I like when he just kinda shows up, does some stuff yeah. and then pieces out. Yeah, <laughs> we had we had talked we were saying a little bit earlier how he's more like a force of nature than an animal. And when you look at Godzilla from like animal motivations, it doesn't make much sense why he comes ashore, why he smashes stuff, why he suddenly decides to take off. Well I will say him being a force of nature also makes that original attack the storm scene so much more effective because yes. mm-hmm. he himself he is, is the storm he is the storm yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. would have been nice if they had some sort of storm follow him throughout each attack or, or some sort of different event. oh if like tokyo guess, has experienced the same thing yeah, yeah but i guess uh you know just like the whole city at the end but is on fire that's yeah, another that's, type of that's yeah. A, that's yeah that's also storm in and of yeah. itself yeah. yeah they make a reference that the city is protected by 3000 volt towers and it's just like lines of these towers this is the start of the second attack so godzilla shows up busts through everything and just wreaks havoc on on the city yeah. um and then this is where we get a lot more of this wonderful model work with people being deployed and intercutting between people and these wonderful shots of the models of like cars or trucks being flipped over just and we have the scene with the mother with the two with the three kids yeah it's just it's such a good 
it's a very solid attack. And yes. the, the, the thing about this attack is you're not entirely sure how you should feel because there's a lot of monster movies where we love seeing the monster just going and kicking ass and tearing stuff down. And mm -hmm. it's always fun to watch. It's nice seeing King Kong grab that one airplane and saying, ha, take that, even though you totally forgot that King Kong was being a very bad boy earlier on. <laughs> when you're watching Godzilla attack here, it's a little hard to say if, you know, there are parts where the destruction is fun to watch and there are, there are parts where you feel bad about yourself when they cut to stuff like you know people genuinely suffering yeah I, I i don't think this movie is really about the fun of the attacks yeah. because he is just such a scary presence mm -hmm. and they did try to get people out of the city yeah, yeah. well, the, the, well in, in the final shot or in the uh, final battle they keep cutting back to that same wide shot where the streets are bare with that said it's still a masterfully done scene you know that it's it's a really good monster rampage for whatever purposes you get out of it if you're mm -hmm. if, you, if it makes you afraid if it makes you concerned if it or even if you for some reason you, you do find it fun it's still very well done that's the thing is it yeah it's yeah it's solid it's a solid rampage and, I mean, if it were, and if it were bad, it would be a liquid rampage. Womp womp, or a gaseous one. Godzilla fart! <laughs> I believe... I think this is the first scene in the film where we do see Godzilla use his, his uh, atomic breath. Yeah, That's right. I mean, it, it, mm -hmm. te technically, yes, those uh, those boats out at sea were blown up by him, but this is the first time we actually see it. Yep, so. and we see, yeah, yeah, and, we and, see him go through the motions. So yeah. I wonder, the people that know about Godzilla on the island, the people that are investigating him, do they know about his atomic breath at this point? Or is this a they, big well, reveal to they them? Know that it caught, they know about the sea of fire and the flashes of white light, so... Right. But I guess up until that point, you know, he hasn't used it. He did not use his atomic breath during the harbor scene. I, I don't believe. No, mm -hmm. he, 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 you only see yeah. the you, you only see the I, aftermath yeah, of his I attacks. I think they're able to make the connection when Doctor Yamane was pointing out earlier the strontium ninety inside Godzilla's footprint and saying he's a radioactive creature. I guess that's yeah. where they can kind of piece it together. But I don't think they know at this point that he's capable of, you know, blasting a street into into a billion jillion yeah. pieces. <laughs> it would have been nice to have a scene of a reaction. Of his fight, like they do in the 2014 version. Like, what the hell's going on? He breathes fire! <laughs> 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 And then the military attacks them, yeah, yeah. and they fail. And by the way, with his uh, breathing of fire, since I was a kid, my favorite thing are his glowing spikes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yes. it's a nice touch. It's a mm -hmm. really nice touch. Yeah. It feels yeah. like he powers up. It's one of those great touches, yeah. Um, we have Steve Martin getting his first eye-to-eye -eye encounter, and this is a very well-done American cutting in, because I think it's, it's one of those parts where it really does feel like it was almost made specifically for the film is just how well that's that's cut in between of him gazing up and you this is where you really got to give Raymond Burr credit to for yeah. giving a lot of credibility to the scene too because he looks friggin terrified mm -hmm. so this is the shot where he's holding he's holding the recorder yeah and it's just a slow push it on his mm-hmm this he's is, just looking out. This is it, George. It's Steve, like the classic Steve Martin signing off from Tokyo Bay, and then yeah. it's the classic yeah. uh, Spielberg shot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I, well, I just want to talk a little bit more about the final attack. All the fire effects are so good in this. They are like when you see just on the horizon. Yeah, the that, fire. That skyline of fire is really well done, and I'm sure some people nitpick and say, "Why is it only the buildings over there that are on fire, not the ones in the foreground?" Well, it's, <laughs> it's like, okay. well, nope, nope, nobody's perfect, and it's still a nice silhouette. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just it's shot so great. It and is. 
seamless. This is this is one of the few Godzilla movies that really gives time spent to the destruction that the monster had caused when the monster's not on the scene anymore. And yeah, like those shots of the city on fire are still they really get you. Yeah. yeah. Now following that we have the jet fighters come in. A lot of a, a lot of Godzilla fans interpret that as they didn't chase him away, that he would have just left on his own anyway, but mm-hmm. but after that, you know, Godzilla's taken off and we cut to the following morning where in the American version we this is where we came in, as as they would say back in the day. Yes. By the way, that phrase, this is where we came in. Yeah. <laughs> that's what Jiminy Cricket says at the end of Pinocchio. He says, Well, this is practically where I came in. Well, and- that's that, this was back in the days when you can go sit and you could watch the same movie all all damn damn long if you felt like it. So Yeah. But I always <laughs> loved that line from Jiminy Cricket. In fact, when I was a kid, every time I'd go to a Mexican restaurant, <laughs> oh boy. Be, you would look for him in your food. <laughs> no, possibly be going. I'd be eating the chips and salsa, <laughs> uh-huh. and I would eat the food, and then after I would, I would eat my meal. I'd go back to eating the chips and salsa, and I would say to my parents, "Well, this is practically where I came in." Oh my gosh! So you, you were a hundred when you were five. <laughs> Um, so here's where we get a lot of we don't deal with Steve Martin he's not really being seen and we get in a lot of stuff that is filled in that he kind of talks about earlier on yeah Um, and so from here this is Emiko relaying about what she had seen with uh, Sarazawa this is where we actually see what he's been working on all this time yes I'm assuming everybody has watched the movie. This is where we finally see what Sarazawa was created, and it's called the Oxygen Destroyer. And basically, anything living goes kablooey. Yes. When this is put in, basically now. they deteriorate and become uh, skeletons. Yeah, it's a it's a creepy visual. That's the thing too. Again, you know, there's not it's not like animated or whatnot, but just with those simple cuts and dissolves, and mm-hmm. with that music played, the music fills mm-hmm. in so much of it too. And that's it the really thing does. is it fills you with that that dread. And at this point, this is where Emiko has to break her promise to Sarazawa about not revealing the oxygen destroyer. Mm-hmm. And now why he has not wanted her to tell about it, this is where we go to our, I believe our next scene is uh, without Steve. And this is where we, we have really that love triangle paying off yes. with Emiko, Ogata, and Sarazawa. Now, Sarazawa... There's enough left of his explanation in the American version as to why he doesn't want the Oxygen Destroyer known is because, you know, if, at this point, the Oxygen Destroyer has no purpose other than just killing everything. Mm-hmm. And in the Japanese version, he explains a little bit more just about, you know, even if he were to keep it a secret, you know, somebody could find out about this. He says he's only human, and if a hostile power were to torture him, he would reveal the secrets. This is also a very telling point, too, where he says to Emiko he had made arrangements, even at this point in his life, that if he were to die, he wanted all of his notes burned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is this explains something towards the end of the scene in the American version that doesn't make too much sense, where once those notes start burning, she starts crying hysterically. And people might be wondering, well, why is she crying? It's because I think at that point, Based on what he had said, it's very clear that he's not gonna—he's not getting out of this alive. Okay, and that's, that's why it's—you okay. uh, know—it's—it's it's one of those little touches that it's sad that it got cut out. But again, I think it was cut out for pacing purposes. Yeah. So. But I think it would have been a little bit more powerful. Uh, it would have been. Yeah, it would have been really because yeah, it's yeah. just a little weird to have her crying. Yeah. But I also feel like they all feel the gravity of using yeah. this technology mm-hmm. and understand his hesitancy yeah, to it's, there, even put it out there in the public. There's no solid answers. It's just viewpoints, and that's Sarah's always viewpoints in the Japanese. 
Japanese version, especially for a character we had spent so much of the film not really knowing anything about and finding out that he has, you know, great love for humanity and also just, you know, not wanting to contribute to its downfall. Mm -hmm. Now, I had mentioned about editing out for pacing that it comes to this very poignant scene where the, about uh, the children's choir. I do have to confess, when I was a kid, I always wondered why the scene was in there and, it go- <laughs> and why it goes on so long. But you do have to give the American version credit that they did not chop it down. They left it in there because this is, number one, plot-wise, it's important because this is what convinces Sarazawa mm-hmm. that it's time to take action. But number two, it's, also, it's just a very moving scene. And mm-hmm. we had talked about feeling the dread of this movie, but this is, this is a different feeling altogether. And this is just feeling... I don't know what you would call it, mourning or even hope or maybe a little bit of everything put together. This is... It's just humanity. Humanity, yeah. This movie spends a lot of time showing the human aftermath to Mm -hmm. Godzilla's attack, and it's hard to watch. So right before this, Ogata and... um, Sorry, Sarazawa. Had gotten into a fight. Right. And Ogata got hurt, and he sees how Amiko... Amiko runs to him instead. Yeah. Now... And you can kind of see that he seems yeah. a little thrown back. And it's the only time that he really shows any mm-hmm. um, emotion. There, or he, there had not really been any romantic feelings whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And again, Sarazawa was such a, a, a character who was kept very much mystery shrouded up to that point. You don't know how he's going to react if he's going if he really was in love with Emiko or if he's just, you know, seeing the world moving on without him and just seeing, you know, mm-hmm. love blossoming. But it's not something that he's going to be able to enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's open to a lot of interpretation. Sarazawa was a you know, just a very complicated character, but yeah. that's that's one of the strengths of this movie is just that. Yeah. You know, he could have just been just the random scientist who came up with the magic weapon that kills the monster. Yeah, but, but they. But instead, they they took the they took the route of humanity, as you were as you had put it. And as and we, his eyeball. <laughs> and his eyeball. There we go. As we mentioned <laughs> before, with the love triangle thing, I'm glad that this one does yeah. have a payoff, does have yeah. substance to it. There is something there. Yeah. Hey, Robert, you could say Sarozawa was keeping an eye out for them. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he was trying to he patch did. their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> he never took on any students because he, he didn't have that many pupils. <laughs> it's too much. Okay, back to humanity and pathos <laughs> and good stuff. So, Sarozawa burns his notes. He burns them. So... Now, now you guys all know why Emiko starts starts bawling. Yeah, I really wish they had kept that in, just yeah. that little bit more exposition. So everyone gets on some ships. Mm-hmm. They go out to where Godzilla is, mm-hmm. and Ogata and Shirazawa, Shirazawa, Shirazawa dive in. They volunteer and they go down there. Yeah. This is a little longer in the Japanese version, where Shirazawa had wanted to go down alone first, and Ogata had wanted oh. Ogata wanted to go down alone because he's an experienced mariner. And in the end, the, the sort of compromise they make is that they're both going to go down there. So as always says that he's the only one who knows how to activate the destroyer. But it, that's also a bit of foreshadowing, too, of why yeah. he's so demanding that he should be the only one to go down. Mm, okay. So, so they dive down. They dive down. Um, this, this is an interesting scene because this is the first and only time in the film we more or less see Godzilla at peace. Or yeah, it's, it, Yeah, I mean, it's... For however much pathos you want to give to a monster who has just killed everybody and whatnot, why we should feel sorry for him, it's hard to say. But for some reason, you just see him when he's resting down there. In the end, 
Godzilla is just as much of a victim of the radioactivity mm-hmm. as as the humans are too. That's yeah. I mean, I must say, I don't know if it's just because I'm a fan of these monster movies or yeah. what, but I really do feel sad for him at yeah. the end of the movie. There's, oh, a, I do. there's a nice touch with Godzilla's. De- so. Uh, a really quick little tangent is when they were developing the look of Godzilla, they had given him like several different kinds of skin textures. One of them was like a toad. One of them's like an alligator. The skin texture of Godzilla in the final movie is made to resemble scar tissue, which is they wanted to give the impression that this was an animal that had survived a horrible oh. burning. Yeah, this is yeah. this is still again Godzilla is also just as much of a victim himself mm-hmm. as as the people are. He just happens to take more people down with him. But. And speaking of taking people down with them, that's exactly what's going on, where we have Ogata and Sarazawa dive down. And they are walking around. There's something a little choppy about the way that this is presented, but um, you see them get to where they need to get to, Mm -hmm. and then Ogata starts going back up. It starts ascending like like they were supposed to do. Yeah, and he, I think, is he screaming Godzilla? No, he's he's screaming Sarazawa, because Sarazawa's not surfacing like he's supposed to be. The plan had been, you know, activate the oxygen destroyer, put it down, get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. And Sarazawa is not fall, is not taking the line back up. Okay. And when he's shouting, Sarazawa, he's like, dude, get out of there. What are you thinking? And Sarazawa, he knows what he's thinking. Yeah. He's made that decision already. And yeah, and he activates is, it and he cuts his rope and he cuts his oxygen tube. And his last words to Emiko, his last words to, you know, oh God, it's working, live happily with Emiko. Mm. So that's also mm. that's also that humanity is, you know, he may not have found love himself, but he still wants people to be happy even if he has to sacrifice himself. Yeah. yeah so and this whole sequence, uh, it's underwater and, you know, it was shot, as they say, dry for wet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, where they really weren't underwater, and in between the action and the camera was an aquarium hmm. to give the illusion. That's that great. Underwater. I think it was really great. Um, you do see so when you see Godzilla roaring in pain, yeah, um, near the surface. Is that yeah. also the puppet? That's the puppet, and it's the puppet's big scene. And I guess in this case, <laughs> the puppet works fine until it does its final little bounce up in the water, and that's where it's a little obvious it's the puppet. It works really well though when the pu- when Godzilla comes up and makes that one. One last roar of mm-hmm. god-awful agony. And this is actually a nice moment from Raymond Burr, too, is just a silent reaction where he's just... That look on his face is also... can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, but this is still a scene that really hits everybody. Because you don't know whether or not, you know, is Godzilla going to come up and destroy everybody, even if he Godzilla is doomed himself? Should we feel sorry for him? And in the end, I think... I can't imagine anybody would be watching this film and not feeling something for him. And, yeah. not, and not, not just because it's a given, because we love monsters and we're monster kids, but also because the scene is treated with the same amount of gravity and... Well, the music serious, helps, too. The music yeah. absolutely helps, too, yeah. That music is intense. And then we see the skeleton of Godzilla at which, the ocean floor. Which, that is so neat, seeing his skeleton. Oh, yeah. I loved it I so like much. It. I'm sure it doesn't exist anymore, but if that were on display somewhere, I would freak out. I would love to see <laughs> As far as I can tell, the only prop that exists from this film is the oxygen destroyer itself. Oh, wow. Godzilla suits were not made to last, but that's mm. that's a whole other topic. But yeah, and then, typical fashion of everything we've been watching lately, <laughs> yeah. it just says the end. Well, not, not quite, not quite. Like... There's one last final difference between the American and the Japanese one. 
Dr. Yermane, we don't see much of him in the American cut on that ship other than him just looking sad over Serozawa's death. In the uh -huh. Japanese version, uh, Yamane points out that Godzilla may not have been one of a kind, which of course is absolutely true, but it ends on the note saying if we continue nuclear bombing testings, there could very well be another Godzilla. Now, whether or not you think that's just setting up a sequel or whether or not that's an actual plea to the audience just saying you better you guys might want to think about what you're doing mm -hmm. you know it's 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 left as an open question or an open statement but it gives you something to think about now i i have heard people complaining about raymond burr's final line where he's saying the world could wake up and live again some people think that that's saying okay we should forget everything we've seen before but i th i like that line i think it does go back to what we were saying about the humanity of how do you interpret the scene of the children's choir and whatnot mm -hmm. and just saying, you know, how can we move beyond this terrible thing while still remembering it and making sure we don't do it again? Well, yeah, you have to move on. You have to live your you, life. You do. You do. The menace was gone. So was a great man. But the whole world could wake up and live again. I just really kind of feel like uh, seeing the destruction, um, lingering on the destruction after the final words are said. Um, with maybe the end going over that or something um, would have been a little bit more of a satisfying ending for myself. So just like maybe, or like underwater, just that shot that we see of Godzilla skeleton, seeing that after he says everything, you go back into the water. And if that would have been the last shot, I think I would have found it a little less jarring. But, you know, it is what it is. Well, you know, the, I was reading also that there was supposed to be a shot of the helicopter flying over the ocean at the end, and they throw a, a wreath into the ocean. For Sarazawa. For Sarazawa. I, I guess they didn't shoot it, but that was an idea for yeah. the ending. But I think hmm. they, I think what we have gave the... Yeah, impression well, enough what, where you don't need it. Yeah, the wreath thing would almost imply that they knew he was gonna he was gonna die. Yeah, they just kept the wreath on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it was it was Christmas time, and we're like, you know what? You love Christmas so much. Take it. Whoosh. <laughs> but yeah, so that's Godzilla. Uh, yeah, Godzilla, so King monsters. of the Monsters. So did you did you like the movie, Anthea? Yes, I did. I know we were talking a little bit earlier about it. Felt a little slow. It did. There was a little too much exposition or like where they would be speaking in Japanese and then the translation of what was happening um, would not come in until they were almost done saying what they yeah. had to say. Yeah. Um, so some parts are a little, I'm just like, okay, let's speed yeah. this up. But yeah. overall, I really do enjoy this movie. And then as we talk about it, I really enjoy the movie more. Yeah, the more like you think the conversations that we've been having, like I'm just like, this is such a good movie. So the, solid. The more you think about it and the backstory and what it symbolizes, uh, the more one enjoys it. I feel. As a kid, mm -hmm. all I want to see is Godzilla fighting and, yeah. and monsters fighting, and I never cared about the human characters. Uh, this one, I will say out of all the Godzilla movies I've seen, this is the one that I care the most about, the human characters. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Or Godzilla's Revenge, I love Ichiro. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I didn't really care about the human characters, and all I wanted to see was the Godzilla fights, which meant as a kid, I was bored by lots oh. of these movies because I only wanted to get to the fighting scenes. This movie is so much more different than anything else, than all the other ones. Right. Um, and this one, I don't think I can tell you that I cared about any one person in uh -huh. particular, but I did care for the well-being yeah. of Tokyo as a whole. And seeing um, everything being destroyed was very, Be like, you just... 
I think a big part of that is the fact that this movie does not have a villain, yeah. and it, it didn't need one. It would have mm-hmm. been very easy to have just made some scumbag character who was the cause of making Godzilla attack on the scene in the first place and then killing him off, and you, the audience walk away thinking, okay, good, that douche deserved it. Yeah, but, I, I mean, it's it's all about conflicting viewpoints, and you feel good and bad for a lot of characters mm-hmm. in this movie. That's the thing, is that they're, in the end... What is the villain of this movie? Is it mankind's ignorance? Is it just the existence of these killer weapons in general? Is it just a force of nature that you know, we're never going to stop? It's or is it a giant dinosaur? That or is it fire? a giant dinosaur breathes fire? Is is the giant dinosaur breathes fire? Is he the villain? Is he the victim? Is he both? Is he yeah. is he something you can even measure in terms of human sympathy? Or is he? Would you feel just as sorry for him as he'd feel for an earthquake or mm-hmm. a, a tsunami? Yeah. 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 But the fact that the mov- the movie raises those questions and has those different viewpoints is a big part of its power mm-hmm. and the fact that they treated it so seriously. I mean, should we talk now about the Americanization of it? And uh, yeah, just, go for it. Yeah. I really, really like the Americanization of this movie. Mm-hmm. And you know, even if a lot of the changes were made for pacing purposes, in theory, if you thought this version moves slow, Gojira moves much, much slower. Oh, okay. But the fact is, I thought it was a very clever adaptation. I thought inserting your American actor as an observer was also very is a very clever way of keeping a lot of the original film intact, even if you did have to make those edits. Yeah. And in the end, you know, it respected the tone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, there's no better way for me to sum up how good the Americanization is of Godzilla than to point out some of the kaiju films where the Americanization was terrible. <laughs> and look no further than the very first Godzilla sequel, which we knew in Japan as Gojira no Gyakushu, which came out pretty quickly to capitalize on the success. Mm-hmm. When it came to America, it finally came out as something called Gigantus the Fire Monster. Why it was called that, who knows? But if you've ever seen the American cut of what this movie is, it is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, Just Godzilla how, how raids s- again eventually. Godzilla raids again, which is a it's the title it eventually is known as, which is a terrible pun. Yeah, the Lone Ranger rides again. Da, 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 da. I, I think I think that's what the type that yeah, that title's supposed to imply. But when you see, <laughs> I never thought about that actually. When you see how sloppy that movie is, how badly scenes are cut, how much stock footage is put in, how much for some reason Godzilla and Angiras have their roars switched for no real reason. It's just you wonder: is it incompetence? Is it laziness? And that's when all the more reason you appreciate yeah. what how much care they put into. Godzilla King and the Monsters. Yeah. Now, I always called him Angulus. You can call it Angulus or Angulus is fine. <laughs> I mean, in, in Americanizations, they spell his name as A-N-G-U-I-R-U-S, which makes people think his name is Anguirus, but... Right. But, <laughs> I, I always know with an L you, in you there. Angulus. Yeah. And all these monsters, there's so many ways you can pronounce their names. Yeah. But apparently, Angulus was a, an early option for Godzilla's name. There's a lot of early Godzilla designs we can talk about, even before he was a dinosaur, necessarily. Yeah. I'm not sure well, if Angiras. It may. It, it's possible. He Angiras was an early enough kaiju in the series that I wouldn't be surprised if he if he had been one of the concepts for Godzilla. I'm not entirely sure about that, and I have I've never read any clarification. But there was a lot of talk about what Godzilla was going to look like in advance. 
Subaraya had wanted Godzilla to be an octopus because yeah, I read that. Yeah, it's he just was big on octopi. But <laughs> there, one other early Godzilla design that's interesting to point out was I had mentioned earlier in storyboards that there are some versions of Godzilla that resembled a dragon or a radiosaurus. There was a very strange concept where Godzilla's head almost resembled a mushroom cloud. Yeah, and that's that's a weird thing to think about. And of course, Subaraya would make a mushroom monster later with Matongo, but it was all part of that metaphor of Godzilla. Godzilla as the bomb is if Godzilla actually sort of resembled the aftermath of one. And oh, wow. it's kind of it's kind of strange to think of what he would look like exactly. It maybe it would have worked, maybe not. I like his design as it is now, so I'm not going to yeah, complain. I mean, but. Yeah, it's, it's a great design. But, uh, I also wanted to mention the name Godzilla. What are the Japanese words for Godzilla? It's it's two words combined. Gojira is a combination of Gorira and Kujira. Gorira is gorilla. Kujira is whale. Yeah, gorilla now, whale. Let, let's talk about the, the fun little anecdote story. Now, yeah. uh, apparently... The name Gojira came about with some stagehands were saying that there's a really, really fat guy working at Toho. <laughs> he's as big as a Gojira. No, he's as big as a Kujira. He's as big as a Gojira. <laughs> that name's clever. Let's keep it. Yeah, and the story goes it's, back and forth, whether it's a stagehand, someone in the publicity department. It's... And nobody has ever been able to find this guy, which leads people to think it was it yeah. was not true. Kimi Honda, who is the wife of Ishida Honda, says she does not believe a word of that story. Yeah. <laughs> well, she also says they are known for having tall tales. Yeah, so. but it's, it's a fun little story to pass around. Well, there's also a rumor which lots of people don't believe of an early pre-production meeting where they were on top of a skyscraper. Ah. <laughs> so apparently there's a rumor yeah. that uh, the director, Ishiro Honda, and Iji Tsuburaya, uh, the special effects director, that they went on an observation deck on one of the tallest skyscrapers in Japan and were uh, planning, creating, planning out where the route of Godzilla's yep. destruction. Mm-hmm. People overheard them and were freaking out, and then like police came and had to interrogate them. <laughs> like they were, they were planning on saying, "Okay, we're gonna blow up the Diet Building next. Then we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> smash the cut." I mean, whether or not it's true, who knows? But it's a funny little story. So, so yeah. Um, with uh, the history of Godzilla, you know, as we said before, it was inspired by King Kong and 20,000 Fathom, or I keep saying 20,000, the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Mm-hmm. I think I'm getting it mixed up with 20 million miles. Yeah, yeah, well, 20, <laughs> that's because you have 2020 vision. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hell for that one. Uh, yes, you oh, are. God. Oh, God. Um, who did they get to play Godzilla? Godzilla was played by a stuntman named Haruo Nakajima, who had a very brief role in Seven Samurai, so brief, in fact, that I don't think I've ever even spotted him. (laughs) Nakajima played Godzilla for 12 movies, I believe, I want to say up until Godzilla vs. Gigan. He played numerous other Toho monsters. He was Rodan, he was Gaira, he was King Kong for King Kong Escapes. Uh He was the one and only time Mothra was ever played by someone in a suit was in the original Mothra, and there was actually quite a few people inside this big moth or caterpillar suit but i guess he wasn't the head of it he was (laughs) i think he was mogera the burrowing robot from mysterians he was probably magma the walrus from gorath um he played a griffin in latitude zero he was probably a mushroom man in matango i'm not sure about that but i wouldn't be surprised and um so he's in a lot of toho movies playing monsters a lot of he's probably one of the best monster suit actors of all time because not not it's hard to act in those suits Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. in Godzilla King and the Monsters, where I've heard a lot of conflicting reports about how much that suit weighed. 
the earliest yeah. designs I think were in excess of 200, 300 pounds, but even the final version that shows up in the film, that thing must have weighed a must have yeah, weighed a I ton. Mean, I heard yeah. I heard yeah. that it weighed a little over two hundred pounds. It was six foot five and the guy wasn't six foot five. In no, fact no, he has said that for the first movie that was the only time they built the suit without thinking of who was going to be playing the monster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, they just needed a strong per- someone who's strong enough to lift the damn thing. Right. So. so he's in there and he could turn his head all the way around and it won't turn the Godzilla head because there's so yeah. much space in there. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. The the bulkiness of that costume is very obvious in the film. And again adding to that feeling of mass it's it works fine up until but by the very next movie it was time to get Godzilla to really move and fight and yeah. but you know yeah. he did take his role very seriously oh. as Godzilla he yeah. went to the zoo and studied elephants and bears and gorillas. yeah and gorillas and stuff yeah I mean, and as and, as the series went along he he does start acting a bit too there are nice yeah, there are nice little touches there's um he, his, the character of Godzilla starts to come out probably around the time of Gujo the Three-Headed Monster. He was told by Tsuburaya uh, to watch King Kong. He should study that for Sub- his performance. Tsuburaya was very, very much influenced by King Kong to the point where, I mean, that's that's probably what got him into monsters. It's no surprise he, he you know, he wanted the movie stop animated, but that would have taken years and a budget they yeah. probably, that wouldn't have covered it. If they did this a stop motion. It would take five to seven years to make the movie with a huge budget. Okay. <laughs> but they needed the movie done like in three months. Yeah. So. Oh. But, you know, it was a blessing in disguise because Tsuburaya made an entire career out of suitmation. And that's a big part of what gave the tokusatsu genre its its identity was the suits, was the miniatures. And the fact that, you know, out of necessity, we ended up with this whole art style that can be appreciated by monster fans for decades to come. That's, yeah, of course. Thing. Apparently, at least once uh, he passed out in the suit from heat exhaustion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, those were that it, it was a dangerous job yeah. being a suit monster suit actor, especially in those days when the suits were gigantic. Yeah, there were a lot of. There's two stories in particular about how much hell Nakajima endured. Mm -hmm. One of them is for Rodan when he's in the the suit. The wires supporting Rodan broke and he fell. (gasps) Now, how far he fell depends on the story. I've heard he fell 10 feet. I've heard he fell 20 feet. Uh Uh-huh. But that's still really painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other painful story was in Varan the Unbelievable, where he's playing the monster Varan, and an explosive went off underneath him while he's crawling on all fours to play a quadrupedal monster. Yeah. And it blew up somewhere around his crotch. Uh, and Yeah, apparently oh he has he has battles or he had battle he had, scars. Yeah, he passed away just a few years ago. Uh, so oh really? yeah, yeah, but but he was I did get to meet him at Monster Palooza. Same here. Oh. Same here. I gave him a Rodan sketch. He was super nice. That's the thing. Yeah. Is uh, he appreciated, you know, that's the thing is Godzilla was embraced the world over and I think a lot of their those creators and those actors were well, loved the, very much too. You see the thing that I really loved about him was in terms of uh, seeing him at Monster Palooza was I you know I, I don't really do the autograph thing at conventions yeah, it's neither do I it's like I want to have like a personal experience with these people if okay. that happens yeah. and I also they're so expensive yeah well he was one I was like the original Godzilla for 12 movies I want I, you know, I want to meet him mm-hmm. you know he charged a reasonable price but he also donated all the money to the Tsunami victims. Hey. So it's like, how can you not meet them? Classic. Yeah, so also, you know, with the costume, 
This particular one apparently had three cables coming out of it in the back. Two that would control the eyes, one that controls the mouth. Mm -hmm. And I did notice the mouth movements of this one was pretty impressive. Uh, lots of... It when it's not our have... friend the puppet. <laughs> yes. I keep harping on... It's a running... We'll make that a running gag, but but it makes you appreciate the suit all that much more. Because yeah. the, the suit just, is quite a piece of work. The way the suit worked uh, in terms of the head looked, uh, looked really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, now this Godzilla also has ears, which eventually right. he loses, and then and then he gets, gets back. Them back. Yeah, yeah. The the number of toes changes. Um, minor minor little yeah. things like that. He has a very he has a a very mammal like design for the first two movies, and then by King Kong versus yeah. Godzilla, where his main opponent is a mammal, that's where they really made him more reptilian. Well, apparently with Godzilla, you know, the ear discussion is interesting also because. When they wrote the script for Godzilla, mm -hmm. he was not described at all because they didn't have his final look at the time. But one thing they did mention was his ears. Oh. They mentioned, uh, I mean, this, it was just like a quick this, in passing. Not not in terms of the way they looked so much, but it was more, they mentioned Godzilla or the, the monster. Here's the clock tower. Oh. And they mentioned his large ears. Yeah. That's an interesting observation because a lot of the scripts did not always mention what the monsters were going to look like. I've heard tell that the Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster script, the only description they gave of Ghidra is it has three heads, two tails, and it sounds like a bell. And that's all they <laughs> left of it. And then from there, it was up to Tsuburaya to make this to make this brief description. They must have mentioned in the script that he flies, though, no? I would imagine. He, that's how he gets around. You know, he, he didn't hitchhike or anything. I guess so. because you fly doesn't mean you have to have wings, I guess. No, not but. necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. Hidora flies without him. But the mm. fact that Godzilla can offer so many different types of stories, even, mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about Godzilla's revenge and why it's a favorite of yours, despite the fact that tone-wise it's totally different. I think that's a real a really big strength of Godzilla is the fact that he can be interpreted in all these ways and there's no better time than now when we have three different versions of Godzilla going on. We have Shin Godzilla, the legendary Godzilla series and the Netflix ones which of all which are also being very controversial because they're so unlike any Godzilla that came before. Everyone has a different version of him and no no one of them is really superior to the others. Mm -hmm. Now, is Toho involved with all versions? Yes. Toho maintains the ownership of the character as far as I know. So we did talk about, well, I guess a lot earlier. <laughs> you mentioned you were wondering like what the budget was for Godzilla. It actually, at the time of its release, it was the most expensive film in Japan. I wouldn't be made. surprised. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was the same year that Toho was also funding Seven Samurai, which was also extremely expensive. So there's, yeah, there's a good chance yeah. that either one of these films, if they had flopped, Toho would have been down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a success when it came out. And mm -hmm. there's a rumor in the movie, Godzilla destroys the Toho Theater. And when the movie came out, people were actually watching it in the Toho Theater. They were freaking out, thinking their whole building was falling down. <laughs> people ran outside. Uh, Think that's true? Probably not, but it's a fun story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Godzilla was nominated for Best Picture uh, at the Japanese Academy Awards. Hey. Uh, it lost to Seven Samurai. Oh. And it did win for Best Effects, of course. Cool. Nice. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all the stuff I have at Godzilla. Do you, um, I do want to mention real quick, they did a sequel to the American version, which was Godzilla 1985 with mm -hmm. Raymond Burr. And it came uh, out in 1985? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So there was a Godzilla that came out in 1984, right? It's the same movie, just uh, right. so they one, did on, basically, on one end of the ocean to the other. Yeah. So they did basically okay. the same thing they did with... Like, is Raymond Burr in the Japanese version of that? No, no. Right. But so, it's, what's interesting is that the American cut of Godzilla, you know, of, of Godzilla King of the Monsters was shown theatrically in Japan afterwards. I think it was called Kaiju Gojira or something like that, which would basically translate as 
Godzilla, King Godzilla, or, or Godzilla King of the Monsters. It's something like that. Yeah. But, you know, the fact that the American cut was well enough done that they were content to show it back in its homeland. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the, the Japanese reacted to it, but... Yeah. You know, presumably it's there. You can find a lot of posters for the American release. Yeah, they, they had the sequel, Godzilla 1985, which ignored all previous sequels. Yeah, it ignores the movies in the Showa series except for the original, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, which I find pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, is there anything else you want to add about uh, the first Godzilla and its American counterpart? At this point, you know, Gojiro is a film that was not available in America for a long time. Now there's two different DVD versions of it. I think every monster kid owes it to themselves to to have both versions. That's the thing. And for me, it's not so much a matter of choosing which film is the better of the two. I think they're both very good movies. They're just both different viewpoints of the same solid story in the end. And I think right. at this point, you know, if you haven't seen Gojira, go check it out. They're pretty easy to find now. And yeah, keep the Godzilla spirit alive. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, that was our episode on Gorija. Nope. Kaiju Gojira! That was our episode on the Japanese and American version of Godzilla. <laughs> we hope you so enjoyed it. Where can we find you? If you're looking for my work online, a lot of the monster stuff I do, you can find me at AidenCasterly.com, as well as ScapulaComic.com. I've been doing a comic series for the past 12 years or so that has a lot of monster references in it, a lot of classic monster references. We have a villain who lives in a wax museum lair, which is filled with monsters. <laughs> and one of our one of our most recent issues is Scapula and the Sinister Monster Doom Legion, which not only has a story about that wax museum and monsters maybe coming to life, we also have a kaiju story, which is filled with homages to a lot of the Godzilla films, including that or- the original one we've been talking about. You can find all of the stories and more again at scapulacomic.com, or if you want to follow my work, go to aidencasterly.com, as well as the Facebook Aiden Casterly Art Group. I'm also on Instagram. And um, there's Aiden Casterly, the breakfast cereal, Aiden Casterly, the flamethrower, Aiden Casterly, the doll, me. Aiden Schwartz, me with you. Adorable. And you appear regularly in Burbank areas, right? I've been spotted going through garbage cans at two in the morning. Don't, I don't believe those rumors are true. I try to do as many conventions as I can. Some of them I swing, some of them I don't. Um, my next convention, I believe, will probably be Midsummer Scream in nice. uh, Long Beach in, I want to say, July. We'll be there. There are some very wonderful horror and comic book stores that carry my work. Definitely check out um, Dark Delicacies, Black Cat, The Hyena Gallery. We'll link them all in our blog post. Oh, thank you. Thank you. you. And where can we find you guys? Pods and Monsters. Oh, we're Pods and Monsters. (laughs) Podsandmonsters.com. Pods and Monsters podcast on Instagram. Pods and Monsters on Facebook and Twitter. You did it. Yay. Yay. So for Pods and Monsters, my name is Robert. My name is Inthia. And we're here with... Aiden Casterly, signing off from Tokyo Bay. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, thank you. Bye. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Sayonara. Well, this is practically where I came in. (laughs) 